0: Thank you so much for choosing to listen to the Refuge podcast today. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Now here's an inspiring message from one of our leaders or pastors that will help you grow in your relationship with God. Limb doctrine, and a key verse this month, and when we consider limb doctrine, it's really A reference which refers to the hands and the feet of Jesus. And that's what we are as members of the body of Christ. As believers in this earth, we are part of the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus that minister to a hurting world around us. And this month we've been exploring that concept of what it really means to be the body of Christ. See, we've gone out on a limb. We've gone out on a limb to make it clear what our role is as believers in this earth to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Our key scripture for this month has been 1 Corinthians 12, 27. We want to look at that again. And this is from the Message Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. And so there's something significant that we see in this passage. There is this thing called acceptance of your role, your part to play. Because all of us need to be connected to a body of believers. And God's established local churches around this world that we as believers need to plug into, to serve, and to participate in the vision of God for the particular church. Or some call it the house where you worship, the house of worship. And so it's important to be connected Because there's too many dislocated members of Christ's body. And so they're struggling and they're not being able to really fulfill the purpose of God. Because they haven't accepted their part or found their purpose and role. Now another verse I want to share with you we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 14. It's a little bit earlier in the chapter. And in the amplified version it reads this way. For the human body, and this is relating a human body to the body of Christ. For the human body does not consist of one part, but of many limbs and organs. So you're part of the body of Christ. You're a limb. You're an organ. You're part of the body of Christ. And you have a function. And, and, and I, I thank uh, Tim Kleiner uh, for the message he brought last week about the function of the body of Christ. And I think that was a very important message because we need to understand what our function is because you have a role to play. Function is an activity that is natural to the purpose of a person or a thing. Uh, We each have a function, and that's the design of God in his plan for us in this earth. And so I I like the illustration he used about being transformed. Romans 12.2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's that Greek word metamorphal, which is metamorphosis, the turning of a, butter, a caterpillar into a butterfly. I, I like that. Because a butterfly can get places that a caterpillar can't, right? They stay attached to a leaf or to a, a tree, but a butterfly is free to fly. And, and they have an advantage over the caterpillar. And so God is wanting to do a transforming work in us so we can do what we could not do in our own limited way before we really open our hearts to Jesus in our life. And so I'm excited about what God's doing in our place, our function in the body. I believe that to be the feet of Jesus is to live as he lived. To be the hands of Jesus is to serve others the way he served others. I want to again share the quote by Sister Teresa of Avila who uh, spoke something, I believe, that's relevant in this message. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. How profound that is. Now when we talk about being sent, I believe that's a very important word that we see in the Bible. In fact, we'll find it if you read in the English Standard Version of the Bible. It's found more than 650 times in both Old and New Testament that's a lot of mention of this particular word. And so I believe it carries some significance that we need to consider this morning. Sent actually is the past tense of send, which means to cause, to go, to propel, or throw in a particular direction or purpose. It's to cause, to be carried to a destination. That's what it means to send, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Now, most of us are familiar with the send button on your device, whether it's your iPhone or um, if you have the other kind, Androids, if you have a tablet, if you have an iPad, if you have a computer. Every one of these devices has some form of send button. Now, there's something about the send button. Once you press that, you can't retrieve it. You can't take it back. It's done. Now, you can, and sometimes you can go and edit what you just sent. But most times, if it's an email, you can't really edit it. It goes out there. and It's, it's a done deal, right? And I don't know if you've ever sent something to the wrong person. That can get you in a lot of trouble, if, depending on what it said. And hopefully, it shouldn't get you in trouble if what you're saying is nice, all right? But there are send buttons. Now, God has a send button, too. Did you know that? We see it in Romans 11:29. 29. We're going to look at that a little bit later. But uh, the English Standard Version says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. In other words, he can't ever change it. Once he sends his call, as it says in the Amplified Bible, he can't retrieve that. It's a done deal. And so we need to understand that to be sent is very significant for us as believers. So what does it really mean to be sent? It's my desire to help you understand what it means to be sent by Jesus and be sent by God to do what he wants to do. See, we we need to understand, first of all, that Jesus was sent. The Scripture says in John 20, verse 21, in the Gospel of John, turn there if you'd like to with me. In John chapter 20, verse 21, because uh, you can keep your Bible open there or your device open there for a little bit, because in the context of this, there's some very powerful things that Jesus was declaring over his disciples. But in verse 21 in particular, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. In other words, he knew that they needed his peace, the peace of God, for what God was about to do in their lives. And then he makes this statement, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, when you look at those two words, even so, they are powerful words because they mean in the same way, with the same purpose, with the same intent, as God sent Jesus, Jesus is sending us. Now, that should weigh heavy upon us as believers as we begin to consider and explore what being sent is all about, okay? Okay. And now, it's important to understand, in fact, uh, that Jesus was good at sending. Uh, There's a number of references. I was doing some study. There's a number of times where he would send out disciples. He would send out the 70. He would send out the 12. He one time sent out uh, Peter and John in, in Luke 22, verse 8. Luke 22, verse 8, Jesus sent, the scripture reads, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us. That we may eat it. So Jesus was about sending. And he sent people. He sent his disciples to do various things. Now. And let me make this statement. If you want to write note. If you're writing notes. You might want to write this down. The great commission. Is not a great suggestion. And when we see John 20, 21. This is about the great commission. And Jesus sending us. To this world. See. It's. The the determination that Jesus set for his disciples, he said, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. That was a determination of Jesus sending us as he was sent by the Father. To be sent as Jesus was sent is not a small thing. We we need to uh, understand that because I believe it captures the very essence and I believe it captures the purpose of what God wants to do through our lives. He wants to send us to hurting people. See, there's people that God has attached to the purpose that he's determined for our lives, that he wants you to make a difference in their lives. Do you believe that? There's an assignment for you to impact humanity, people in particular. See, now, we're not sent to save the world as Jesus saved the world. That's what Jesus did. We are sent as Jesus was to proclaim the message of salvation. The gospel, which is the good news. The gospel of his kingdom, which is his divine influence in impacting human hearts and, and changing human lives. We see in Romans chapter 10 that we as believers are carrying a message of victory. It says, it talks about a beautiful feed and in, in this, on this trip. We were at Marshalls, and I had three girls that felt I really needed a new pair of shoes. And and there's there's two things that have to come into play for me to buy shoes. Number one, they need to be on clearance. (laughs) Number two, they need to be comfortable. Otherwise, no deal. Now, these were on clearance, $30. I'm wearing them this morning. And they are very comfortable. The only problem they're size 13. And so I was very reluctant because I, I didn't want these big ships or boats here <laughs> on the platform. And and my feet aren't growing, okay? So maybe they're just wrong size, these things. But I, I'm actually thinking, I'm going to talk to Noah and see if I can join the volunteer fire department because I think I can put out fires with these, you know? <laughs> um, but the fact of the matter is is is... The feet are very important because your feet will get you somewhere. And, and I don't understand women because they have to have 50 pairs of shoes. And that's, that's no lie. You know, on, the, on this trip, I had two pairs of shoes and these flip flop things that I would wear when we went by the beach or by the pool. And, and so, but two pairs of shoes, that's, that's all a guy needs, you know? Half of our baggage was shoes. We've got three girls, you know, mom and the two daughters. I don't understand it. And then they had to buy more shoes. So we brought more shoes home than what we went with on vacation. I just don't get it, you know. So anyway, let's read this. We, Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, because it is talking about feet. Uh, God's concerned about what your feet look like, okay. Um, and I know you ladies are thinking, well, Pastor, you know, there's a pair of shoes that go with every outfit. So, if I'm taking five outfits, I need five pairs of shoes, okay? All right, let's, let's move on. Romans 10, verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's so powerful. Just to call on his name, just call out to Jesus. If you're ever in a crisis, if you're ever going through something that's really tearing your heart out, call on Jesus, call on his name. Verse 14, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? See, they first have to believe if they're going to call on him. And then it goes a step further. And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? So they have to hear about him. And then how are they to hear without someone preaching? So I'm not the only preacher, folks. It's... Preaching isn't just done from behind the pulpit. Preaching is done at the workplace, in the classroom, it, it's in the street, it's, it's, you know, in the home. It, it happens all over. Preaching is to declare a message of, of truth that will set the captive free, okay? And it goes on to say, in verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? Underline that if you have your Bible there. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Look at your feet right now. And say, feet, you are beautiful. <laughs> You've got beautiful feet. If you're preaching good news, they're really beautiful, okay? And so, because they're carrying the message of life to a lost and a dying world, okay? Now, Before you can ever preach, you have to be sent. And let me be the one to announce to you that you are among those whom God is sending. You are sent. In John chapter 6, verse 28, verse 29, we we see Jesus speaking. and And he said to them, or he said to him, what must we do? Or this is a, a question that's being asked to Jesus in his response. What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Okay? Who has he sent? Well, we know he sent Jesus, but who is he sending now? It's us. And other people believe, you know, every, every uh, on what is being proclaimed through our lives. Every time I stand behind the pulpit, I, I realize the great responsibility that what I say, people may just happen to believe. And if they believe what I'm saying, then I better be preaching the truth. I better be accurately representing Jesus Christ because I'm his representative. Now, think about this. Your life is a sermon. You're preaching all the time, whether you realize it or not, even if it's without words. We talked about that. But what message is your life giving off? Because you are not representing yourself. You're representing Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a representative of him. Okay? And so, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. You want to do the works of God? It starts by believing. And that, Believing will move you to action. So we uh, want to... And that's actually the starting point, believing. If you're going to be sent, it starts by believing. So the three points I want to share with you this morning is answering this question, how are we sent? How are we sent? Number one, we are sent as living letters. As living letters, okay? Okay. Uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we see a very interesting passage that, that brings this correlation of how we are living letters. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Okay, how, have you ever needed somebody to write a letter of recommendation for you? Okay, yeah, that's good. It's good to have a letter of recommendation. It really kind of testifies to who you are, your work ethic and all that, especially if you're looking for a job. To have a recommendation is an important thing in the whole interview process. And the Apostle Paul is is correlating this to those that are coming into a place to minister the truth of the gospel. In verse 2, it goes on to say, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation. In other words, those that the Apostle Paul preached to, wherever they would go, their very lives were a letter of recommendation to attest to the Apostle Paul's ministry and his credibility, okay? And, so, and realize that my credibility is determined by you and how you interact with others in the community. So you better do good out there. And, because you can affect the whole reputation of a church and how you interact with others out there, if it's not godly, if it's not holy, then people are forming opinions about this body of believers. Oh, yeah, they do this, they're into that, I, you know. Uh, are you living for God? Let that be a testimony. Oh, that person, they're living for God. So that church refuge must be a place where people live for God, where they serve Jesus, where they, they're followers of Christ. That should be the recommendation or the commendation that comes to your life about this place, okay? As we go on, let's read verse 2 again. You, are, you yourselves are a letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be read or to be known and read by all. See, people are reading that letter. Your life is a letter. Verse 3, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Now i got to take a moment i got to share this. If you were able to get your hands on the original Ten Commandments, that God engraved the, his laws, those ten laws in those two tablets, and we were able to bring them right here on the platform, And make them available for all of you to come and just touch and look at. Don't you think that would be a wonderful thing? To have the original Ten Commandments right here. For you to hold, for you to see and all that. We have something better than that. Because that's just stone that God engraved with his finger, with his hand, the Ten Commandments. But by his spirit, he's engraved his commandments, his word in your heart. You are his letter to this world, okay? And see, we need to understand that concept. And so uh, this is not just you doing it on your own. This is the Spirit of God doing something significant through you to impact this world. And so it goes on to say, and I want to read verses 4 through 6 because this is also relevant. It says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. See, we can have confidence now because we are this living letter that was written by the Spirit of the living God, okay, for the world to see. Verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves or from us, but our sufficiency is from God. See, God makes you sufficient. You may think you have insufficiencies. Well, God will make up the difference there because you are sufficient in him. Verse 6, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So it's not just living by the law, but it's living by the Spirit of God empowering us. See, it's important to know that he's made us sufficient to be ministers. So, so there's no excuse. Well, God's sending me. Well, I have all these excuses. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. You know, I, I, I don't know enough scripture. I don't know this or that. But According to this, he's made you sufficient as a minister of the gospel. That's why he's sending you. That's why he's sending us. That's why he's confident in being able to send us. See, your life is sent as a package to the world. See, sending a package, uh, you first of all, you need to know what to put in it. You have to have the proper address. It's going to somebody. Who is it being sent to? Where is it going? The method of delivery. The cost and going, all this. What condition will it arrive in, and how is it going to be packaged? All these things come into play. For the last two years, I got about two, maybe two and a half years ago now, I got a letter from a pastor in India. And apparently, he was doing a website, and he found out that Jim Lobbs here in Stevens Point had accordions for sale. And he he looked on the uh, website to find churches in this area. He contacted us, and he said, could you arrange to be able to ship me an accordion from Jim Lobb? So, well, we were able to make a purchase, and then we were trying to go through the process and hundreds of dollars to ship it and all that, and we were trying to work uh, through a friend he had in Canada to get it to him, and, and nothing worked out until this past weekend. I was able to deliver... Uh, that accordion to a man in Chicago who's from India that's going to be going to India on the trip in the next couple months, and he's going to deliver that accordion to that pastor, uh, Pastor Malachi uh, Kirib, who pastors a church in India. And, and this man is, is so sweet. I, I, I sent him a picture of, of the accordion. Now, oh, How many of you know what an accordion is? That's one of those old-fashioned instruments. It, it's got a keyboard It's basically wearing this keyboard. You take this, put it on here. Uh, It's got its own back where you pull it out, which creates the air. And How many of you have heard an accordion before? Okay, If you're really young, you're probably scratching your head. What what is that? But it was such a blessing to meet this man from India yesterday and to give him this accordion. And it's going to be delivered to this pastor. And, And so I'm so excited about that. But again, we are a package to the world. Um, And so you need to recognize that. Number two, how are we sent? We are sent by Jesus' authority. We are sent by Jesus' authority. Now, it's interesting. I I, I want to tell you a little story. This is about a father and a son. And the father was going to go off on a business trip. And so he gave his son, who is about 16 years old, he said, you are responsible for the yard work when I'm gone. And so that means you need to mow the lawn. In fact, it needs to be mowed. When you get, get home from school today, I want you to mow the lawn. Okay? So he gets home from school that day, and his little sister needed help with her homework. So he helped her with her homework. That evening, his father called and said, son, did you mow the lawn? He says, Well, no, I didn't get to it because I helped my sister with her homework. She said, well, that's nice that you did that, but the lawn needs to be mowed. And, and, you know, for those of you that know me, I like to mow the lawn, and it's important that the lawn is mowed so it's not really tall. And so the story isn't about me, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm just making it up as I'm going along. So the next day... He gets home from school, and he looks at his room, and he said, I know it would be it would please my mom if I would clean my room. So he cleaned his room, and, and he got so aggressive, he even cleaned his sister's room. Yeah, that's really nice. So father calls again and says, son, did you mow the lawn? He said, no, I didn't get to it. I, I cleaned the room, my room and my sister's room. Isn't that nice, dad? I, I did that. I, nobody told me. So said, that's really nice that you did that, son. And so then the next day, he gets home from school, and it was raining. And so, well, that's a good excuse. I guess I, I can't mow the lawn when it's raining unless you have a decent mower because uh, my father-in-law has a mower. He, it doesn't matter. It can be downpouring. He's out there mowing the lawn because those blades, it cuts anything wet or dry, okay? And so um, so that was his excuse the third day. The fourth day, he gets home from school, and he decided... Mom had a kind of rough day, so he's going to clean the kitchen. In fact, he cleaned the kitchen, did all the dishes, put everything away, and then he decided to vacuum the living room, and and he got aggressive, and he just cleaned the whole house. And so he was really happy with himself, and the father called and said, son, did you mow the lawn? He said, dad, you know what I did? I cleaned up the kitchen, did the whole house. He said, that's fine, son, but did you mow the lawn? And then the next day, um, comes home from school, and there was no gas for the moor. So he didn't mow the lawn. And so father calls and said, you know, Sunday mow the lawn. He said, no, there wasn't any gas in no the moor. He said, well, you know what? You know how to get gas. You know, you just got your driver's license, you could have went and bought some gas and put it in there. Well, I, I just I just I didn't know that I could do that. And so five times his father had requested him to mow the lawn. Five times the son had excuses. And I want to share this parallel with you because there are five scriptural references in the New Testament that contain different aspects or facets of the Great Commission. And if you're taking notes, you can write these references down. We're not going to read through these. But the first one is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And and there Jesus said that we're to go into all the world and make disciples of the nations to every ethnic group to baptize and teach them what Jesus taught. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, Mark 16, 15 through 18, uh, Jesus again uh, announced to the disciples that they were to go into the world, to all creation and preach the gospel, to baptize and preach the gospel with signs and wonders, laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, speaking in other tongues, and, and doing that. So we see that second reference. The third reference we see in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 49, which Jesus said that he was sending his disciples to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations with the power of the Holy Spirit. So again, we see that third reference. And, and then we see a fourth reference in John 20, verses 21 through 23. And, and we just we read this earlier to you, where Jesus said. Uh, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And in, in John's account, we see that Jesus sent them out as his representatives the same way that he was sent by the Father as the Heavenly Father's representative and to forgive sins and to minister the gospel to a lost and a dying world. The fifth reference we see is in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where the disciples were commanded by Jesus to receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the entire planet, where Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit that was going to come. He says, after that, you receive power to be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the very remote parts of this earth. So five times we see this. So you have been authorized to be sent to preach the gospel to a lost and a dying world, okay? And so you can't make excuses because you've been authorized. And then number three, we are sent when people decide to respond to the call. And now this brings up a very important point. Matthew 22, verse 14, the scripture reads, for many are called, but few are chosen. For years this scripture bothered me, because I'd see this, i said, okay, God, what's the difference between those that are called and those who are chosen? Because in my heart, I said, God, I want to be one of the chosen. I don't want to just be called, I want to be chosen. What's the difference between those who are called and the ones who are chosen? And I found out. You, you want me to tell you what I found out? Those who are chosen are the ones who respond to the call. And let me give you this illustration because maybe it can help you understand it. Let's say I make an announcement, okay, after service, we want to clear the platform. We're going to clear the whole platform. We're going to take all the instruments down. We're going to put them all in Anna's office. We're going to pack them in there, okay? It's a small office, but we're going to pack them all in there because we're going to do some renovations. In in a few weeks, we want to do some renovations. We're going to do a stage design here. And so at some point, we're going to need to do that. We're going to need to clear the whole platform, okay? So I would say, who wants to help us Clear the platform. Okay, let's practice this. Who wants to help us clear the platform? Okay, you, you, you. I'm going to choose all of you that raise your hand. Okay, so the real issue is God chooses those who respond to the call. When the call is given. And so God's waiting for a response. Many are called, but few are chosen. Why? Because many did not respond to the call. So that's important to understand. Isaiah answered the call. Thankfully, we see in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? See, God's looking for those that he can send. Isaiah responded, Then I said, Here I am, send me. Now, if you read the context of this, if you read verses before this, uh, Isaiah made some excuses. One of his excuses was, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, I've been a bad boy, Lord. I'm no good. And so what God did, he took a coal from the altar of God and he touched his lips and sanctified his tongue. And so after that encounter with the presence of God, Isaiah was willing to say, send me, Lord. You're looking for somebody to go, send me. Here I am, send me. And see, when we have an encounter with God, not before, will we really be willing to go and be sent? See, God's call is out there. But to respond to him, we need to open our hearts to encounter who he is. I told you we'd go back to Romans 11:29. I want to read that to you from the Amplified Bible. Romans 11:29. And the Amplified Bible that's unique because it takes and amplifies the passage. It takes different words and it helps to explain it with a more profound and a more profound way. So Romans 11:29, we saw in the ESV version it says for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. But it's a lot longer in the Amplified. So and the Amplified, it says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, for he does not withdraw what he has given, nor does he change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. Okay. So he's called us. We need to respond so that he can choose us. Okay. Now, the God that we cannot see is made visible in the Son who has been seen. And we see that in, in Colossians chapter 1. We, we, we see this whole thing. But it's important to understand that the God we cannot see is now revealed in the church. It's revealed. He's revealed in us. That makes us the hands and the feet of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 18, we see uh, this passage in the Message Bible. It says, we look at the Son, this Son, and we see the God who cannot be seen. So if you want to know what the Father looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, okay? It goes on to say, we look at this Son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank, after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, that's us, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body, okay? Jesus is the head, and we are the body. So as his body, we need to be taking and, instru- taking and receiving instruction from the head, right? And so the God who has not been seen is now, made, is now made visible by the church. So for us, church, it's time to grow up, and I want to conclude with the passage we see in Ephesians chapter 4 as we bring this message to a cl- close. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 14, it says, so that we may no longer be children. It's okay to be a child, but you know, if you never grow up, what you did at two that, you know, caused people to smile and they thought it was cute, when you do what you did at two when you're 22, it's not cute anymore, right? Right? So we need to grow up. We need to mature in Christ. And that's what Ephesians 4 is addressing here. It says that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. See, we're growing up to become more conformed to what the head is like. So we, as his body, can live out his truth in this earth. Verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body, whole body, every one of us that are believers, that are part of the body of Christ, this includes us together collectively, okay? From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped... When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. Wow. So when the body is functioning, we're going to grow. We're going to grow up. We're going to be able to accomplish the heart of God's expression in this earth. Now, this morning, I've been addressing followers of Christ primarily in this teaching. and That's good. And we've been addressing our responsibility. And maybe you are here today, and you can't really identify with that. Maybe you would honestly say to me, Pastor, I'm not a true follower of Christ. I can't really say that I am. Well, this morning, I want to give you that opportunity to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Because it's up to you. It's a choice. It's a decision that only you can make. I can't make that decision for you. It would be wrong for me to even impose that upon you. But yet it's it's important that I present that opportunity to you so that you can make a decision to choose to follow Jesus. In John 17, 3, Jesus made a statement identifying what eternal life was. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So God the Father sent Jesus so that we could know the Father, so that we could experience eternal life, so that we would not have to perish as a result of the penalty of our sins and be separated from God forever. See, God wants you to encounter him this morning. Maybe you've been walking with God for a long time. God still wants you to encounter him in a fresh way in your journey with him. See, the gospel is not powerless. A powerless gospel only leaves people with a religion, not an encounter with the living God. God's about relationship. He wants to interact with you. He wants to encounter you with his love. Thank you so much for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages, you can visit us online at wearerefuge.net.